have you ever dreamt of a time-traveling dive into the heart of gaming history? My name is Moriarty and my YouTube channel is Really Cool and we're digging up a time capsule for every year from 1980 through today, each filled with not just the year's hits but the unexpected trendsetters. A curated selection of titles that defined, influenced, or gained significance in that particular year, even if they released well before. Discover the vibrant world of 94's Earthbound in 2013, a commercial flop revived decades later after years of word-of-mouth hype brought it back from the dead. Or RuneScape, born in 2001 but gained a whole new life in 2014. From arcade classics to cutting-edge RPGs, we're digging up the game-changers that shook the gaming world, whether on day one or years down the line. You'll see the gradual unfolding of Microsoft and Bungie, the debut and drama of Halo, the rise and downfall of Sega, and Yu Suzuki's legendary career unfurling right before your eyes, among other stories. This isn't just a trip, it's an up-close-and-personal journey through gaming's living legacy, the untold stories lurking in the shadows of every achievement and failure. And hey, while you're gearing up, why not go ahead and give this a 5-star review, making sure this gaming time capsule is found by future explorers. No strings attached, you can always take it back later if you have a change of heart. As we start this trek through the past, think about this. If you had to pick one game to be humanity's legacy, what would it be and why? The 1980s, a time of big hair, neon colors, and some of the most iconic video games ever created. Let's hop into our virtual DeLorean and rewind to 1980, when arcades ruled supreme and home consoles were just starting to make waves. Gaming was predominantly a social and communal experience. Arcades were the epicenters of gaming culture, where players gathered to enjoy the latest games and compete for high scores. These vibrant, noisy spaces were a far cry from today's solitary online gaming sessions. The tactile sensation of gripping a joystick or slamming a button added a unique charm to the gaming experience. The rise of home consoles, like the Atari 2600, however, was beginning to bring that arcade magic into the living room. This era saw the emergence of gaming visionaries like Shigeru Miyamoto and Nolan Bushnell, who helped define the industry's trajectory. Their contributions laid the groundwork for the gaming landscape we enjoy today. By 1980, several groundbreaking games had emerged that would become timeless classics. These early titles captured the imagination of gamers and popularized the medium, setting the stage for the industry's meteoric growth. Compared to today's hyper-realistic graphics, games in 1980 were rudimentary in both visuals and gameplay. But at the time, these pixelated adventures were cutting-edge, a testament to the ingenuity of developers working with limited technology. These simple yet engaging games paved the way for more complex and immersive experiences that would follow in the coming decades. How did the social nature of arcades influence the evolution of gaming culture? And could anyone in 1980 have foreseen the remarkable advancements the gaming industry would make in the future? If we're talking about games that capture the essence of the 1980s, there's no doubt that Missile Command deserves its place in a time capsule for that year. This iconic arcade title not only reflects the zeitgeist of the era, but also demonstrates how video games can engage with broader social and political issues. Missile Command captured the prevailing fear and paranoia of the Cold War era. 
Designed by Atari programmer Dave Thur, the game puts players in control of missile defense systems protecting six cities from an onslaught of incoming nuclear warheads. The game's escalating difficulty and demand for quick reflexes and spatial awareness made for a thrilling experience that reflected the anxieties of the time. Not only did Missile Command provide a unique gaming experience, but it also stood out for its ethical approach to the subject matter. Thur was adamant about not depicting players attacking other countries, particularly the USSR. This decision demonstrated a sense of responsibility and a commitment to avoiding the glorification of war, which was somewhat ahead of its time in the gaming industry. It's worth noting that the game's creator, Dave Thur, even experienced nightmares of nuclear devastation while working on the project a testament to the game's powerful impact. Missile Command sold nearly 20,000 cabinets and became a top-grossing title in Japan, showing its global appeal. Fast forward to today and the legacy of Missile Command can still be felt in various ways. For one, the game's influence on popular culture is undeniable, as it's often cited as an example of how video games reflected the tension of the Cold War. Furthermore, its ethical approach to the subject matter set a precedent for future titles that would tackle sensitive topics with care and consideration. Although the game might not hold the same sense of fear and awe for modern gamers, it remains an essential piece of gaming history and represents a moment in time when video games began to engage with complex themes and reflect the social and political contexts in which they were created. The game's innovative design and intense gameplay also inspired generations of developers and players alike. It demonstrated that games could be more than just mindless entertainment, but also a reflection of the world we live in. Missile Command's unique blend of tension, strategy, and cultural commentary has made it a memorable and influential title in the history of video games. When Pac-Man burst onto the arcade scene, it brought with it a refreshing and unique gameplay experience. Released in 1980, the same year as Missile Command, Pac-Man took a different route, trading geopolitical tension for a maze, power pellets, and four colorful ghosts. It broke away from the space shooters and war games that dominated the arcades and brought something completely new to the table. It was bright, it was colorful, and it was fun. It was a game that didn't just appeal to the typical young male demographic, but to everyone. Unlike many of its contemporaries, Pac-Man attracted players of all ages and genders, breaking down barriers and helping to establish gaming as a more inclusive pastime. This broader demographic reach was instrumental in expanding the video game market and ultimately shaping the future of the industry. But the real genius of Pac-Man, the thing that sets it apart, is its AI. Each of the four ghosts in the game, Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde, has its own unique behavior pattern. Blinky chases you, Pinky tries to ambush you, Inky tries to flank you, and Clyde, well, Clyde does his own thing. This was a huge leap forward in game design. It gave the game a depth and complexity that hadn't been seen before, and it's something that's still being studied and admired by game designers today. Now let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture. We've already talked about Missile Command and how it reflected the fears and anxieties of the Cold War era. Pac-Man, on the other hand, was pure escapism. It was a game that let you forget about the world for a while and lose yourself in a maze of power pellets and ghosts. 
influence. The game's influence didn't stop at the arcade, though. Pac-Man quickly transcended the world of gaming to become a pop culture icon with its characters adorning everything from t-shirts and lunchboxes to hit songs and animated TV shows. This merchandising frenzy cemented Pac-Man's status as a household name and demonstrated the potential for video games to make a lasting impact on popular culture. And that's why Pac-Man deserves a spot in our 1980 time capsule. It's a symbol of a time when video games were starting to come into their own to branch out and explore new ideas. It's a testament to the creativity and innovation that has come to define the industry. But perhaps most importantly, Pac-Man is a reminder of the joy and escapism that video games can provide. It's a reminder that games can be more than just a distraction or a pastime. They can be a source of happiness, a way to connect with others, and a way to escape from the world, if only for a little while. Pong, released in 1972 by Atari and created by the legendary Alan Alcorn, is often regarded as the game that launched the video game industry as we know it. Pong was the spark that ignited the video game revolution. It was the first commercially successful video game, and it laid the foundation for everything that came after it. From Missile Command to Pac-Man and every other game on this list, they all owe a debt to Pong. But what makes Pong so special? It's not just its status as a pioneer, but also its simplicity. Pong is video gaming stripped down to its bare essentials. Two paddles, one ball, and a simple goal. Don't let the ball pass your paddle. It's a game that anyone can understand and play within seconds, and yet it's challenging enough to keep you coming back for more. This simplicity was a key factor in Pong's success. It made video games accessible to a wide audience, breaking down barriers and opening up a whole new form of entertainment. And this accessibility is something we still see in games today, from the intuitive swipe controls of mobile games to the pick-up-and-play appeal of party games. The spirit of Pong lives on. Pong also contributed to the development of the home console market. Atari's 1975 release of the home version of Pong, the Atari Home Pong, became the first successful home video game console. This marked the beginning of the home gaming revolution, allowing people to enjoy video games in the comfort of their own homes, and setting the stage for future consoles such as the Atari 2600 and the Nintendo Entertainment System. Pong represents the birth of an industry that has become a global phenomenon. It's a reminder of where it all started, a testament to the power of simplicity and accessibility in game design. And it's a symbol of the incredible progress that was made in just a few short years. Breakout, created by Nolan Bushnell and Steve Bristow with a little help from a young Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, is an iconic single-player game that built on the success of Pong. Players control a panel at the bottom of the screen and use it to bounce a ball upwards to destroy a wall of bricks. The game was an instant hit and its success would lead to numerous sequels, spin-offs, and imitations. One reason Breakout was chosen for the time capsule is its role in pushing the boundaries of game design. Unlike Pong, Breakout introduced the concept of a single-player game, offering players a new challenge that didn't rely on having a second person to compete against. 
against. Breakout also incorporated elements of strategy and puzzle solving, encouraging players to think critically about how to angle their shots to maximize brick destruction. Breakout's success solidified Atari's position as a major player in the arcade scene and helped pave the way for the company's future console releases, including the Atari 2600. The game's influence can also be seen in the countless Breakout-inspired games that have followed, from Arkanoid to modern mobile games like Candy Crush Saga. But Breakout's influence doesn't end there. In fact, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mentioned imitations. While the game's success and enduring popularity led to a flood of imitations, many bearing uncannily similar names like Master Break, Master Breaks, Wall Space, and the slightly on-the-nose Break Out, but with a space. This era of gaming was a bit like the Wild West, a frontier of potential and pitfalls. The problem wasn't in the imitation itself. After all, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but rather the total lack of quality control on these cartridge games. Without any standards or regulations, the market was inundated with games that varied drastically in quality. There was no way to know if the cartridge you were buying was a legitimate game or a poorly coded homebrew that might damage your console, or at the very least deliver a subpar gaming experience. And with the absence of the internet, rating boards, and critics, discerning the difference between a quality game like Brain out and its numerous knockoffs was near impossible for the average consumer. Imagine the frustration of spending the equivalent of today's $60 on a game that sat on a shelf next to a well-crafted blockbuster, only to find it was essentially a $1 self-published indie game masquerading as a full-priced title. This lack of transparency and quality assurance began to erode consumer trust, making them wary and less willing to take chances on new games. This was a significant issue that plagued the gaming industry, tainting the excitement of the era with a bitter taste of uncertainty and disappointment. So why include Breakout in this retrospective? Because Breakout, amidst this chaos and confusion, served as a beacon of quality. It was a game you could trust, a game that promised and delivered. And yet, its very success inadvertently sparked an issue that the industry had to grapple with for years. It's a potent symbol of the challenges and triumphs of that era, a snapshot of a time when gaming was just starting to discover its potential and the growing pains that came along with it. In the late 1970s, the arcade scene was dominated by simple yet addictive games like Pong and Breakout. Then in 1978, along came Space Invaders, an innovative shooter that would captivate players around the world. Developed by Tomohiro Nishikado and published by Taito, this groundbreaking game introduced the world to the concept of the high score, a feature that would go on to become a staple in video games for decades to come. Space Invaders brought a sense of urgency and competition that was previously missing in the gaming scene. As players blasted away at the rows of descending aliens, the game sped up, pushing them to react faster and more accurately. This innovative gameplay mechanic not only made Space Invaders a massive hit, but also laid the foundation for the shoot-em-up genre as a whole. 
The game's success and influence cannot be overstated. Space Invaders was such a phenomenon in Japan that it caused a nationwide shortage of 100 yen coins, the currency used to play the game in arcades. The game would eventually make its way to the United States and Europe, where it became an icon of popular culture and a symbol of the burgeoning video game industry. Fast forward to today and the legacy of Space Invaders is still very much alive. The game's pixelated alien invaders have become a symbol of the early days of gaming, adorning everything from t-shirts to lunchboxes. Space Invaders' impact can also be seen in the many games that it inspired from Galaga to modern indie hits like Super Meat Boy. So why does Space Invaders warrant a spot in a 1980 time capsule? Well, for starters, it represented a pivotal moment in the evolution of video games showcasing the creativity and ingenuity that would come to define the medium. Additionally, Space Invaders serves as a snapshot of the era's pop culture and a reminder of the early days of gaming when the industry was still finding its footing. Asteroids is a space-themed shooter that had players controlling a small, triangular ship blasting away at asteroid chunks while avoiding collisions. With its innovative gameplay and immersive experience, Asteroids quickly became a staple in arcades and a symbol of gaming in the late 70s. One of the key reasons Asteroid was chosen for the time capsule is in its role in redefining the arcade experience. Unlike its predecessors, Asteroids didn't rely on the classic paddle and ball setup. Instead, it introduced players to a new world of gaming possibilities with its vector graphics, allowing for smoother visuals and more complex shapes. This innovation opened the door for future games to experiment with new visuals and game mechanics. This game was one of Atari's most successful arcade titles, selling over 70,000 units and earning the company millions of dollars in revenue. Asteroid's success not only cemented Atari's status as a leader in the arcade gaming world, but also demonstrated the potential for video games to become a lucrative form of entertainment. Fast forward to today, and Asteroids still holds a special place in the hearts of gamers. Its legacy can be seen in the countless space-themed shooters that have followed, as well as the ever-popular retro gaming scene. Asteroids' simple yet challenging gameplay continues to captivate players, proving that great game design can stand the test of time. Adventure was one of the first action-adventure games and the first to incorporate a virtual world for players to explore. Before Adventure, most video games were limited to simple, single-screen experiences. This game, however, took players on a journey through a vast, interconnected world filled with castles, mazes, and even dragons. Yes, dragons! But the innovation didn't stop there. Adventure was also the first video game to feature an Easter egg, a hidden message or feature within a game. In this case, it was the creator's name, created by Warren Robinette, tucked away in a secret room. This tiny detail sparked a revolution, inspiring countless developers to include their own Easter eggs in future games, adding an extra layer of depth and mystery for players to uncover. As one of the first action-adventure games, Adventure laid the foundation for future titles in the genre. The game's mechanics and style influenced a generation of designers, giving birth to 
franchises like The Legend of Zelda, Metroid, and Castlevania. Adventure's innovative gameplay and world building set the stage for the open world and sandbox games we know and love, like Grand Theft Auto, Skyrim, and The Witcher series. Adventure demonstrated that video games could tell stories and create immersive experiences forever changing the way we view and interact with games. So why does Adventure deserve a spot in a 1980 time capsule? It's simple. Adventure pushed boundaries and redefined what video games could be. Its groundbreaking design and lasting impact on the industry make it an essential piece of gaming history. Centipede hit the arcades in 1980, right when the video game industry was starting to find its feet. The 70s had given us Pong and Space Invaders, but the 80s? That's when things really started to get interesting. Centipede was one of the first games to introduce a new level of complexity to the arcade scene. Instead of the simple back and forth of Pong or the static shooting gallery of Space Invaders, Centipede had you dodging and weaving through a field of mushrooms, blasting away at a fast moving, multi-segmented bug. It was a game of skill, reflexes, and strategy, and it was unlike anything gamers had seen before. Centipede wasn't just innovative in its gameplay, though. It was one of the first games to introduce a narrative element. Sure, it wasn't Shakespeare, but the idea of a garden gnome defending his mushrooms from a horde of bugs? That was a step up from move, paddle, hit, ball. This narrative element, as simple as it was, added a new layer of immersion to the game. It wasn't just about getting a high score anymore, it was about defending your garden, about outsmarting the bugs. It was a small step, but it was a step toward the story-driven games we know and love today. But perhaps the most significant reason Centipede deserves a spot in our time capsule is its role in breaking down barriers. You see, Centipede was co-designed by Donna Bailey, one of the first female game designers in an industry dominated by men. Her influence helped make Centipede a game that appealed to everyone, not just the typical young male demographic. Centipede's bright, colorful graphics, its simple yet engaging gameplay, and its non-violent theme made it a hit with gamers of all ages and genders. It was a game that anyone could enjoy, and it helped pave the way for the diverse, inclusive industry we have today. Fast forward to today, and Centipede's influence is still felt. It's been ported to countless platforms, inspired numerous clones, and even spawned a few sequels. It's a testament to the game's timeless appeal and its impact on the industry. So why does Centipede deserve a spot in our 1980 time capsule? Because it's more than just a game. It's a piece of history, a snapshot of a time when the video game industry was just starting to realize its potential. It's a symbol of the innovation, the creativity, and the inclusivity that has come to define gaming. And that, my friends, is something worth preserving. As we continue our journey, we stumble upon a rare and unexpected find, deeper in the dirt, hidden underneath all the power gloves and a few copies of E.T., an even older time capsule, one that takes us back to the very roots of video games, to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, when the gaming industry was just a twinkle in the eye of visionaries. In this forgotten time period, ambitious pioneers were busy tinkering, experimenting, and laying the groundwork for the gaming world we know today. Before the arcade craze, before the chunky home consoles, there were the trailblazers who dared to explore the limits of technology 
creating something the world had never seen before. Companies like Atari and Magnavox were pushing the boundaries of what was possible, laying the foundation for a gaming revolution. It's easy to wonder how different the gaming experience was for those early enthusiasts. Were they as passionate and engaged as we are today, or were they merely dipping their toes into the waters of this newfangled form of entertainment? And most importantly, what lessons can we glean from these pioneering games that might shape the future of our beloved pastime. As we continue our journey, we stumble upon a rare and unexpected find, deeper in the dirt, hidden underneath all the power gloves and a few copies of E.T., an even older time capsule, one that takes us back to the very roots of video games, to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, when the gaming industry was just a twinkle in the eye of visionaries. In this forgotten time period, ambitious pioneers were busy tinkering, experimenting, and laying the groundwork for the gaming world we know today. Before the arcade craze, before the chunky home consoles, there were the trailblazers who dared to explore the limits of technology, creating something the world had never seen before. Companies like Atari and Magnavox were pushing the boundaries of what was possible, laying the foundation for a gaming revolution. It's easy to wonder how different the gaming experience was for those early enthusiasts. Were they as passionate and engaged as we are today, or were they merely dipping their toes into the waters of this newfangled form of entertainment? And most importantly, what lessons can we glean from these pioneering games that might shape the future of our beloved pastime? In a small corner of the Brookhaven National Laboratory, something remarkable was taking shape. Tennis for Two, a game that, despite its obscurity, played a crucial role in the birth of the video game industry. Tennis for Two was a world away from the arcade cabinets and home consoles that would come later. It was played on an oscilloscope, a piece of lab equipment usually used for displaying electrical signals. The game was simple. Two players would use hand-built controllers to hit a ball over a virtual net, but this simplicity belied the groundbreaking nature of what was happening. Tennis for Two was interactive entertainment displayed on a screen, a concept that was virtually unheard of at the time. It was a digital game, a full decade before Pong would popularize the idea. This alone makes it a fascinating piece of history, a glimpse into the genesis of what would become a multi-billion dollar industry. Tennis for Two might seem primitive compared to the realistic graphics and intricate gameplay of modern sports games like FIFA and NBA 2K, but without Tennis for Two, these games might not even exist. Tennis for Two was a multiplayer game. It wasn't about beating a high score or mastering a machine. It was about competition, about playing with a friend, about the joy of shared experience. This focus on social interaction is a cornerstone of gaming today, from online multiplayer games to local co-op adventures. It was also a game that was designed purely for the fun of it. It wasn't a military training tool or a scientific experiment. It was a game, plain and simple, created to entertain visitors at the lab's annual public exhibition. This spirit of fun of creating something just for the joy of it is at the heart of game development. 
Tennis for Two never experienced commercial success. It was never sold or widely distributed, but it became quite popular among visitors at Brookhaven's open house events. People were drawn to the interactive nature of the game, which allowed two players to compete against each other using controllers. Tennis for Two offered a unique and exciting experience, sparking interest in the potential of video games as a form of entertainment. So why include Tennis for Two in our forgotten game time capsule, because it's a testament to the roots of video gaming, a reminder of the time when the idea of playing a game on a screen was a novelty. It's a symbol of the innovation and creativity that has driven the industry from its earliest days. Computers in 1952 were gigantic, room-filling machines accessible only to a select few. Amid this backdrop of technological marvel, a British computer scientist named Alexander S. Douglas set out to create a digital version of the classic tic-tac-toe game as part of his PhD thesis on human-computer interaction. OXO was born, sometimes called Knots and Crosses, running on a state-of-the-art EDSAC computer and using a cathode ray tube to display its graphics. Now, you might wonder how a simple tic-tac-toe game could possibly relate to the modern gaming landscape, filled with visually stunning and complex titles, but don't be fooled by its simplicity. OXO laid the groundwork for future game development, demonstrating that computers could be used for interactive entertainment and not just data processing or number crunching. Although OXO was not a commercial product, since computers were not yet available to the general public, this humble game marked the beginning of a new era in which interactive entertainment became a viable pursuit for programmers and computer enthusiasts alike. Fast forward to today and we can see the lasting influence of OXO in popular puzzle games like Candy Crush Saga, Bejeweled, and Sudoku which all owe their existence in part to the pioneering work of Douglas. Beyond its status as the first video game ever created, OXO is also noteworthy for being an early example of artificial intelligence, AI, in gaming. The game allowed players to compete against the computer in a simple tic-tac-toe match, with the AI employing a basic strategy to play the game. Today, AI is an integral part of game development, with advanced algorithms powering the behavior of characters in games like The Witcher 3 and The Last of Us. OXO reminds us that even the simplest games can have a profound impact on the industry, inspiring future generations of developers to push the boundaries of what's possible in interactive entertainment. It's the early 1960s, and the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union is in full swing. Amid this backdrop of innovation and exploration, a group of computer programmers at MIT embarked on a project to create an engaging game that would showcase the capabilities of the new PDP-1 computer. Thus, Space War was born, pitting two players against each other in a battle of wits and reflexes as they maneuvered their respective spaceships around a central star, firing torpedoes at each other. One of the most fascinating aspects of Space War was its complexity. This wasn't a simple game of tic-tac-toe or tennis. Players pivoted spaceships around a star that exerted gravitational pull, firing torpedoes at each other while avoiding the star's deadly pull. This level of complexity was unheard of at the time and set the stage for intricate video games that we see today. But Space War wasn't just a technical marvel. It also introduced the concept of video game culture. The game was freely distributed and modified, leading to different versions and variations. This was the beginning of hacker culture 
culture, the idea of modifying and improving upon existing games, which is still very much alive in the modding community of today. Space War was not a commercial success, primarily because it was never released for sale. Instead, it was distributed freely within the computing community. Despite this, it gained popularity among computer enthusiasts and researchers at universities and research institutions who would often gather to play the game on their cutting-edge PDB-1 computers. This grassroots spread of Space War was not only a testament to the game's engaging nature, but also an early example of the viral spread of software. Nolan Bushnell, Atari's founder, cited Space War as an inspiration for creating the hit game Computer Space, which in turn led to the development of the iconic arcade game Asteroids. By influencing such notable titles, Space War laid the foundation for the growth and diversification of the gaming industry. So we've journeyed from the tennis courts to the depths of space, and now we're landing in the realm of the commercial arcade game with Computer Space. Released in 1971, this game is a direct descendant of Space War, but with a twist that would change the gaming landscape forever. Computer Space was the first commercially sold, coin-operated video game. It took the complex gameplay of Space War and packaged it into a standalone arcade machine that could be played by anyone with a quarter to spare. This marked the moment when video games stepped out of the labs and universities and into the public sphere. But what made Computer Space truly unique was its design. The game was housed in a futuristic, curvy fiberglass cabinet that looked like it had been beamed down down from an alien spaceship. This wasn't just a game, it was a piece of art, a statement that video games were the entertainment of the future. Despite its groundbreaking design and concept, the game wasn't a commercial success. It was deemed too complicated for the average player. But failure, as we know, is often the stepping stone to success. The creators of Computer Space, Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney, went on to found Atari, and the rest, as they say, is history. Fast forward to today and we can see the influence of Computer Space in modern games. Take the popular space shooter game No Man's Sky, for example. It takes the concept of space combat and exploration to a whole new level, with stunning graphics and intricate gameplay mechanics. But at its core, it's still about piloting a spaceship and battling enemies in the vastness of space, a concept that can be traced back to computer space. It's a testament to the spirit of innovation and risk-taking in the early days of the video game industry. It's a reminder of the humble beginnings of arcade games and how far we've come since then, and most importantly it's a symbol of the enduring appeal of video games, an appeal that transcends time and technology. With our recent detour into the realm of forgotten loot, we've uncovered the unsung pioneers that laid the groundwork for the gaming revolution. As we now journey back to our original path, we arrive at another landmark year in gaming history. 1985, a year of rebirth and innovation in the gaming world. From the ashes of the 1983 video game crash, a new era of gaming emerged, forever changing the landscape and setting the stage for the industry we know today. It's no secret that the early 80s were a tumultuous time for gaming. The crash of 1983 saw the once-booming industry suddenly on the brink of collapse, with revenues dropping by a staggering 97%. Companies began to go bankrupt, all thanks to an oversaturated market filled with low-quality games and a confusing array of consoles. But like any good hero's journey, adversity only made the industry stronger. The crash forced companies to reevaluate their strategies and prioritize quality 
over quantity, ultimately paving the way for a new era of gaming excellence. In 1985, gaming shifted from chasing high scores in arcades to exploring immersive worlds in the comfort of our own homes. Console titans Nintendo and Sega stepped up, armed with innovative hardware and a commitment to quality control that restored consumer confidence. The legendary Nintendo Entertainment System and Sega Master System introduced us to some of the most iconic gaming franchises. 1985 wasn't just about new hardware, it was also a year that saw the birth of gaming legends. Visionary game designers like Shigeru Miyamoto created unforgettable adventures that continue to inspire gamers today. So as we explore the fascinating world 1985 gaming, let's consider these questions. How did the crash of 1983 shape the industry's future? What lessons were learned and how did they influence the way games were developed and marketed? And most importantly, as we look back on this transformative time, what aspects of 1985 gaming still resonate with us today? And how have they helped shape the gaming landscape we enjoy? Super Mario Brothers. This iconic game released in 1985 was a beacon of hope in a time when the video game industry was in dire straits. The infamous video game crash of 1983 had left the industry in shambles, with many companies going bankrupt and consumer confidence at an all-time low. But then, out of the ashes, rose a plucky little plumber in red overalls. Nintendo, the company behind Super Mario Bros., had a unique approach to the situation. Instead of pushing for the latest and greatest technology, they opted for what they called withered technology. This wasn't about being behind the times, but a strategic move to make their console, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, affordable. They marketed it not as a high-risk, high-cost, adult entertainment option, but as a toy. They literally changed the game, and it worked. But Nintendo didn't stop there. They introduced the Nintendo Seal of Quality, a mark that assured players that the game they were buying met a certain standard. This was a crucial move in restoring consumer confidence after the 1983 crash, where the market was flooded with low-quality games. The seal was a promise, a commitment to quality that set Nintendo apart. Now, let's talk about Super Mario Bros. itself. Sure, platformers existed before Mario, but none had the same impact. Games like Space Panic and Donkey Kong laid the groundwork, but it was Super Mario Bros. that took the genre to new heights. It redefined platforming so successfully that it's easy to forget it had any inspirations at all. Fast forward to today and you can see Mario's influence in games like Celeste, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Shovel Knight. These games may have their unique twists, but the core mechanics, the essence of platforming, can be traced back to Mario. It's like Mario laid down the blueprint and these games built upon it, adding their own style and flair. The artwork and music of Super Mario Bros. was nothing short of revolutionary at the time. The vibrant colors, the memorable character designs, and the catchy tunes were a breath of fresh air. Koji Kondo's iconic soundtrack is still hummed by gamers worldwide, a testament to its enduring appeal. When Super Mario Bros. launched, it retailed for around $25. It went on to sell over 40 million copies, raking in a whopping $1 billion for Nintendo. 
This success didn't just fill Nintendo's coffers, it transformed the company, propelling it to the forefront of the gaming industry. Before Super Mario Bros., Nintendo was primarily known in Japan for its playing cards and toys, but post-Mario, it became a global phenomenon synonymous with video games. It's hard to imagine the gaming landscape without Nintendo, and it's all thanks to a certain mustachioed plumber. Now, why does Super Mario Bros. deserve a spot in our 1985 time capsule? Well, it's not just because it's a fun game, though it certainly is. It's because Super Mario Bros. is a symbol of resilience, a testament to the power of innovation and quality in the face of adversity. It's a reminder of a time when the gaming industry was on the brink of collapse, only to be saved by a plumber on the quest to rescue a princess. In the end, Super Mario Bros. is more than just a game. It's a piece of history, a turning point in the gaming industry. It's a testament to the power of innovation, quality, and a little bit of plucky determination. And that's why it's in our 1985 time capsule. It's a reminder of where we've been, how far we've come, and the endless possibilities that lie ahead in the world of gaming. Ghosts and Goblins catapulted Capcom into the 8-bit big leagues. It wasn't just successful, it was transformative for the company. Before, Capcom was a relatively unknown player in the gaming industry, but after its release, Capcom was a household name, a titan in the world of 8-bit gaming. Ghosts and Goblins is not for the faint of heart. It's often cited as one of the most challenging games of all time, and for good reason. The level design is brutal, enemies can spawn unexpectedly all over the map, and the player dies within two hits. And just when you think you've beaten the game, you're sent back to the start to play through all the levels again at a higher difficulty setting. There's no way to save, no checkpoints, just relentless, unforgiving gameplay. Despite its difficulty, or perhaps because of it, Ghosts and Goblins was a hit. It's the 18th best-selling game in Capcom's history, and the franchise is the 13th best-selling franchise. It spawned multiple spin-offs, comic books, and ports to dozens of platforms. But despite its initial success, the game and its franchise have fallen out of favor. Most gamers today have never heard of Ghosts and Goblins, which is a shame considering its impact on the industry. People forgot this game because of the difficulty, the old-school level design and mechanics, and yes, again, the difficulty. In a world where games are becoming more accessible, where difficulty settings and save points are the norm, a game like Ghosts and Goblins can feel out of place. It's a relic of a bygone era, a reminder of a time when games were as brutal as they were fun. But in 1985, it was one of the kings of gaming. It's a game that pushed us to our limits, that tested our skills and our patience. And while it may not be as well known today, its influence can still be felt in the games we play. It's a testament to the power of challenge, the thrill of victory, and the enduring appeal of a well-designed game. And that, my friends, is why Ghosts and Goblins is part of our 1985 time capsule. It's a symbol of a time when games were unapologetically tough, when the thrill of victory was hard-earned and when the journey was just as important, if not more so, than the destination. Gauntlet was a pioneer in many ways. It was one of the first games to allow up to four players to play simultaneously, each controlling a different character. 
a warrior, a wizard, a Valkyrie, or an elf. This wasn't just a novelty, it was a fundamental part of the game's design. Players had to work together, sharing health pickups and strategically luring enemies to progress through the game's numerous dungeons. And let's not forget the infamous archer destroying the wizard's food incidents that led to many a heated argument among friends. Adding to the game's charm was its narrator. Voiced by the film director of Hardware Wars, Ernie Fossilius. This was a nod to the nerdy, cultural roots of gaming. A wink and a nod to the players who were in on the joke. It was a small detail, but one that added a layer of personality to the game that was often missing from other titles of the time. The game's success was staggering. One arcade operator reported earning $4,500 in just nine days from a single gauntlet machine. To put that into perspective, that's like a modern game selling 10 million copies in its first week. It's a testament to the game's appeal and a stark reminder of how much the gaming industry has changed since 1985. Despite its success, Gauntlet Star has faded over time. It's often included in top 100 games of all time lists, but its ranking has been slipping as the game recedes more into legacy status. To many modern players, Gauntlet might seem quaint, even outdated, but that's precisely why it's in our 1985 time capsule. It's a snapshot of a moment in gaming history, a testament to the innovation and creativity of the era. Jetpack was a game that truly stood out in the crowd. Developed by Ultimate Play the Game, the company that would later become Rare, Jetpack was a pioneering title in the early days of video gaming. The game's premise was simple yet captivating. You played as Jetman, a space explorer tasked with rebuilding his rocket to explore different planets, all while fending off hostile aliens. It was a thrilling adventure that kept players on the edge of their seats. The game was a masterclass in design, featuring a seamless blend of action and strategy that kept players coming back for more. Jetman had to collect parts to rebuild his rocket, fuel it up, and then take off to the next planet, all while defending against a relentless onslaught of aliens. Despite the limitations of the hardware at the time, the game boasted impressive visuals and smooth gameplay. The game's vibrant colors and detailed sprites were a feast for the eyes, and the fluid movement and responsive controls made the game a joy to play. These technical feats were a testament to the skill and creativity of the Stamper Brothers, the game's developers, and set a high bar for future games to follow. The release of Jetpack also coincided with a pivotal moment in gaming history. In 1983, the video game industry in the US was in the midst of a major crash. However, the gaming scene in the UK, Europe, and Japan remained strong, with games like Jetpack leading the charge. In Japan, the Famicom and Super Mario Brothers launched in 1983, two years before launching in the US, and with much the same effect on the industry, namely stabilizing it in the face of a massive downturn. The success of Jetpack and other European games during this period helped to keep the spirit of gaming alive in Europe, also paving the way for the industry's eventual recovery and continued growth. Jetpack was just the beginning for Ultimate Play the Game. The company went on to release a series of successful games for home computers, including Saber Wolf and the groundbreaking isometric arcade adventure Night Lore. These games were not only popular, but also technologically advanced, featuring innovative graphical techniques that allowed for depth priority and the illusion of 3D. 
but Ultimate play the game's influence extended beyond their own games. The company's success and innovative approach to game design had a significant impact on the UK and European gaming industry. Their games were some of the first to show what was truly possible on home computers, and they set a high bar for other developers to strive for. In the UK, the gaming industry was centered around the ZX Spectrum, an 8-bit home computer released by Sinclair Research in 1982. The Spectrum was affordable and accessible, making it a popular choice for families who previously couldn't afford home computers. This humble machine was the heart of the UK gaming industry in the 1980s. Despite its limitations, it was beloved by gamers for its affordability and accessibility. But the Spectrum was more than just a gaming platform, it was a catalyst for change. It sparked a boom in the UK information technology industry, leading to the creation of new companies, careers, and publications. The boom of the ZX Spectrum led to a boom in computers producing hardware and software for the machine. The popularity of the Spectrum and its games helped to establish the games industry in the UK and Europe. Ultimate Play the Game was a key player in this boom. Their games were some of the most popular on the spectrum, and their success helped to drive the growth of the industry. The company's influence can still be felt today, with enthusiasts continuing to celebrate and write about their legacy. The Stamper brothers, Tim and Chris, were not just game developers, they were pioneers. They saw the potential of the ZX Spectrum, seized the opportunity to create something truly unique. Their games, like Jetpack, were not just popular, they were groundbreaking. They pushed the boundaries of what was possible on home computers, introducing innovative gameplay mechanics and advanced graphical techniques. Elite was one of the first games to feature open-ended gameplay and 3D graphics, a combination that was so revolutionary at the time that it was ported to almost every home computer system available. But the innovation didn't stop at the game mechanics. Elite also included a novella, The Dark Wheel, which expanded the game's lore and added depth to its universe. This was a bold move that showed how video games could be more than just a collection of pixels on a screen. They could be a medium for storytelling, a canvas for creating immersive worlds. Elite is one of the longest-running franchises in gaming history, with the latest DLC for Elite Dangerous released in 2021. Its influence can be seen in a wide range of games, from Wing Commander to EVE Online, Freelancer, the X-Series, and No Man's Sky. These games and many others owe a debt to Elite's groundbreaking design. But perhaps the most impressive testament to Elite's legacy is the praise it received from the developers of the BBC Micro, the platform for which it was originally developed. They called it the best game ever written for the machine, a high compliment indeed. It's been named one of the most influential games in history and credited as the first truly open-ended, open-world game. It opened the door for future online persistent worlds such as Second Life, World of Warcraft, and EVE Online. Elite represents a pivotal moment in gaming history, a time when the boundaries of what was possible in a video game were being pushed and expanded. It's a testament of creativity and innovation, a symbol of the potential that video games have to offer. Thank you for joining me on this journey through history. If you've enjoyed today's episode, there's even more to discover in the next installment. Make sure to download the next episode to continue unraveling the past. If you haven't already, please consider leaving me a five-star review and sharing with your friends and family, but feel free not to. A special thank you to my Patreon patrons who allowed me to make this. Together, we can keep the threads of gaming history alive. I'll see you on the next one.